כן, אחמדו הוא נסה לי על הרסול אל קרים המבעד. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. And we seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. And now we're doing some exploration into Imam Al-Ghazali. Alhamdulillah. So, we were talking about um, first, uh, we were with the first chapter of um, Al-Ghazali, uh, the Book of Knowledge. Uh, so we talked about some of the textual evidence of the Quran. We talked about Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala saying that uh, God will raise those who have believed among you and those who were given knowledge by degrees with Ibn Abbas saying that the scholars are superior to the believers by 700 levels. Between each level is a journey of 500 years. So we, t- uh, we covered these points a little bit uh, last time. Uh, and so the next section of this chapter were the prophetic reports, which I found very, very interesting because it continues to talk about the importance of the scholars and their status in Islam. Um, some notable hadith of the Prophet ﷺ is that the scholars are the heirs of the Prophet and that while there's no degree above that of prophecy, it shows the, the status of the, uh, of the ulama or the scholars in Islam. And then another point that he made was that indeed wisdom increases the noble person in nobility and elevates the servant until he sits as though he were a king. Uh, so once again, it, it shows the power of knowledge both in this world and in the akhirah, mm-hmm. which is what Al-Ghazali narrates here. He says that in this point, he pointed out its fruits in the worldly realm, though it is well known that the hereafter is even more worthy and everlasting. So mm-hmm. the virtue of knowledge is both for this world and in the hereafter. <clears throat> then the Prophet Sallallahu made a, uh, he talked about the hypocrites, that there are two traits not to be found in a hypocrite, noble comportment and understanding of religion. I actually had a question about this, which we can get to later, um, which is like this, the next point that Al-Ghazani makes is that uh, don't be in doubt concerning this hadith on account of hypocritical actions of some of the jurists of the current era. Um, for in the narration, he did not intend the term jurisprudence uh, as we suppose it to be. Um, then the Prophet ﷺ, he also said um, that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will... Uh, alleviate the anxieties of anyone who has attained discernment in the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and send him sustenance from where he least expects it. Mm-hmm. Um, and another narration is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told Ibrahim alayhi salam, <coughs> O Ibrahim, verily I am all-knowing and I love every knowing one or every knowing individual. Then in another narration, the learned person is the one in whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places his trust on earth. And then a couple of... Um, like going on and continuing here um, in the next chapter, which is the traditions of the companions. Um, there is a big okay. Before we have, before we get into the the afara, the companions and such, let's go back and and look at these narrations. Um, okay, so the first one uh, was what? The first one was whoever God wishes well, He gives them discernment in matters of the religion and inspires them with right guidance. Okay. So, so what we're saying is that if Allah Ta'ala wants to give good to someone, he gives a fiqh of deen, okay? Yes. And so, and we might have made this distinction last time, um, ilm, think of it in two ways. Ilm is that knowledge that is handed down um, from Allah Ta'ala almost always through Jibreel Islam, and then to the Prophet, peace be upon him. So Allah to the Prophet, peace be upon him, to the companions, and then Tabi'in, Tabi'in, and eventually reaching us. 
that's one way to define it. Another way to define it is that it does not become ilm unless it is acted upon. So the reason I'm making this distinction is that I could be someone who is in possession of all of this knowledge that Allah has sent down, and I'm not acting on any of it. This then gets into that uh, the description of the hypocrite then, right? And so, so if Allah wants me to do good, a way to understand this is that he is then making me act on deen. Okay. Uh, and so I can attend a class, I can attend this class, I can, you know, um, I can listen to a lecture uh, and feel like I'm acquiring all these understanding. But if I'm not uh, changing in my actions, then the question is, did I actually learn anything? Okay. And the easiest way to think about that is knowledge should be increasing me in the consciousness of Allah, which should increase me in my desire to get closer to Allah, which should then increase me in the actions that will bring me closer to Allah. And or, knowledge should increase me in my knowledge of the Prophet, peace be upon him, which would increase me again in my desire to, for example, be like him, to be near him, especially in the Akhirah, which would then be illustrated by my actions. Or, it should increase me in my consciousness of the Day of Judgment. And the same point, that the more reality the Day of Judgment becomes to me, okay, and my vulnerability on the Day of Judgment, the more I would then be doing actions to decrease that vulnerability. Okay. If that is not happening, then it's a question of what did I actually learn. And so this is a point you'll keep hearing about uh, from me about transformative knowledge versus just consuming. And too often, it's consumption. Okay. Especially in our... Because I think last time I gave you a whole spiel about how your generation, you have all this knowledge available. Yeah. Uh, whereas my generation, we do not have uh, as much of that. But still, it's that same central question. Uh, what does it mean that the scholars are the heirs of the prophet? Peace be upon them. Be prophets. How do you understand it? So the way I understood it is that, of course, like they can't be um, the like actual heirs. But it shows two things. <clears throat> Number one, it shows their status in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mm -hmm. and the way that we should view them. And it kind of reminded me of some of the hadith um, that Imam al nawi gives in his introduction, uh, which was like, I think I mentioned it last week, which was like, مَنْ حَفِظَ عَنَا أُمَّتِي أَرْبَعِينَ حَدِيثًا مِنْ أَمْرِي دِينِهَا بَعَثَهُ اللَّهُ تَعَانَا عَنَا رَأْسِ الْشُهَدَاءِ وَالْعُنَا عَنَا رَأْسِ الْفُقَهَاءِ وَالْعُنَمَاءِ And then in other narrations. Translated. Uh, so when, whoever uh, memorizes or preserves 40 hadith, yeah. <coughs> From my from my teachings, that person will um, be risen in the ranks of the scholars, hmm. <coughs> and in other narrations, um, like Wafiru um, Wati Ibn Masarud, like Qila lah udukun min ayi abwab al jannati shit, like come into my like it'll be said to those people, um, the same people who memorized or preserved those forty hadith, come into my jannah. Um, and then in other narrations, it'll be said that these people will be risen in the ranks of like the shuhada, like the mm -hmm. martyrs as well. Huh? Um, so I found that very interesting because on the one hand, it shows like the, the question of like, these are the heirs of the prophet shows their nobility and it shows their status in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the way that we should view these scholars. And then the second point is that I think we were discussing it last week as well, that 
ultimately the knowledge that we get is as a result of the scholars because it continues to get passed down mm -hmm. uh, from generation to generation even uh, as basic as like getting an ijazah and memorizing the quran you get it from someone who learned it from another scholar who learned it from another person who learned it from another yeah. um so that's why like they're sort of the heirs of the prophet in the sense that they receive that knowledge from each generation from mm -hmm. the sahaba to the tabirin to the tabirin mm -hmm. through generations of scholars acted as heirs of recipients of that knowledge from their uh, from which they were able to transmit it back to us yeah very much so 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 taking it you know you know so mashallah and so what happened okay so so to make this point even even further what are we saying that you can get a sense of the condition of a population by the condition and the esteem given for its scholars. Because the prophet is the one who's saying, peace be upon him, that the scholars are his inheritors, okay? And are the inheritors of, of his whole, the legacy that he is the completion of. Which means that uh, our true illustration of our appreciation for the prophet, peace be upon him, in our present time, uh, one is of course in our obedience to him, but where's that gonna come from? It's, where's that really shown? It's how do we treat the scholars, okay? Multiple ways. What is the level of aspiration for someone to become a scholar? Okay. Um, and then, what is the type of esteem or respect that we give to scholars in general? Ulama. So I'm not talking about scholars of every different field. I'm specifically talking about ulama of, of deen. Okay. Uh, in terms of material resources, what do we give to them? Okay. So there is a global problem in our community. Uh, where the guy who goes into Islamic studies is the guy who couldn't get into anything else. Okay? And so what we're saying is that there is this condition in our community, which is understandable in the sense that we are pushing everybody to the lucrative fields, not with the intention of you know, sustaining scholarship, but for each individual's prosperity. Again, as a parent, that part's understandable. As a community, that's a serious problem. So, do we have respect for scholars in our community? We do a certain amount, um, but it is also very limited, especially illustrated in how we how we give money. So, in our community, if you were to look at where's the highest bulk of donations going, it's to uh, uh, donate for uh, the elaborateness of of our mosque, so, um, and or relief issues overseas. So, and so even CARE, for example, um, struggles to, to raise money. Um, and our Muslim educational institutions struggle to, to, to raise money. Okay. Now, it is not necessarily the case in history that the community always sponsored. Usually, all of these different parts are being funded by an institution, which could be, in the case of Ghazali's era, Nizam, the Nizam al-Mulk, so the leader, essentially, of, of the society. Um, or specific institutions that we call endowments, the waqf or the alqaf. And so I suspect that if we set up methods for people to actually give on a regular basis to uh, the development of scholarship, we would actually have much more. Um, um, it's just that people are giving according to what is tangible before them. So the actual problem I'm suggesting is not that we're all uh, greedy, and materialistic, yeah, there's some of that there. Uh, but the point being is that uh, the people who can figure out how to 
make a consistent donation happen, they haven't they haven't yet figured that out. That's where I think the actual problem is that we're not organized right now. Uh, because we still, I mean, relate to the point that I made last week about you know how we flock to celebrity preachers and stuff. There is still some attraction to knowledge in our community. That's there. Yeah. Um, but we haven't figured out how to make it a regular source of funding, and thus scholars have great difficulty in sustaining life. Yeah. I mean, I have friends who are both alims and have PhDs in Islamic studies from elite universities who, uh, because of lack of income, are going into fields that have nothing to do with that. You know? And that, I think, is a, is a very, very serious problem. Yeah. And, and so that's one of the things you'll hear me push your generation over and over again. Right. Um, that uh, you have to figure out a way, even if it's to dedicate a certain percentage of, of your income that you can afford toward the, the production of, of the preservation of scholars. Because, again, what is the overall point I'm saying? Is you want to get a sense of the esteem we hold for the profit piece upon him, you look at his heirs. The other is to look at you know how we regard his his family members, and so this is much more of a Sunni uh, tradition, but it's across Sunni and Shia, the, the 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 seriousness that should be given to to uh, scholars. By the way, feel free to interrupt with any questions, as I'm making all these points. Um, <clears throat> and then um, oh, okay. So whatever uh, when you are on the path of knowledge, then everything is also seeking your forgiveness. So we have a teaching which is often easy to, to misunderstand, that if you're going down the path of learning, Allah Ta'ala opens up the path to paradise for you. Okay. Now, the way to misunderstand that is to say that you're going to have an easy life. That's dead wrong. Okay. I mean, Allah knows best. Allah Ta'ala is in control. Uh, what are we saying is that if you go down the path of knowledge, then, number one, you're getting direction. Which way to aim in your aim for paradise? Okay. But it can also mean that you're actually going to have a tougher life than the, than the lay person. So if you're choosing a life of knowledge, it means you're choosing a life to be one of the inheritors of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Which means in the way that no one has suffered more than the Prophets, peace be upon him, you're also potentially choosing the life of suffering. Okay. Which is especially interesting because, number one, as you saw this past summer, there were certain scholars that our community was vilifying. Okay because, you know, calling them stooges for power and such. But by and large, most of the scholars that you meet probably have all kinds of very huge difficulties in their lives. If at the very least, the sheer emotional exhaustion from carrying the problems of the people that follow them. It doesn't mean that scholars are above critique. Every scholar should be critiqued. Um, But this type of vilification, I'm saying the same thing, that these same people I mean, Allah knows best, and I'm not judging any individual, um, would be behaving the exact same way with the Prophet, peace be upon him. And what is the example of that? Relate to your question from, from the, the previous session. This is how we saw Bani Israel with Musa, alayhi salam. Okay, uh, what else? Um, and so also that relates to just uh, this connection with nature. That, uh, that everything in nature, the fish in the sea, everything is going to be seeking your forgiveness. And so, in theory, what should also be happening with the scholar, as that scholar is getting closer to the Prophet, he's probably getting closer to Allah Ta'ala, and putting them in that order, because it's, you're going to the one you're inheriting from, 
and then who that one is 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 learning from um, you're also becoming more and more at one with the world around you um, and one place you'll especially see this is the relationship between scholars and trees so for example one of my teachers his the symbol of his madrasa is literally a tree right and and so that you will you'll also see um, what was another one um, I think uh, we'll stop right here, and then next time, Shalom, remind me, we'll talk about uh, hypocrites and Shalom. Okay. Because now we're at 12.30. Any last questions or thoughts? Yeah, so one last question is, like, what about, you know, so we know a lot of scholars, um, <clears throat> like, in the local area where just, you know, they're not really, you would consider, like, celebrity scholars, but what about, like, celebrity scholars and or, like, scholars who, you know, um, have had, like, a significant amount of, like, controversy behind them, or, like, you know, like, someone who... Because we know, like, for example, that public sins and private sins are very different. So, yes. like, a public sin gets exposed of a scholar. Yes. You know, as a community, we don't really always have the best response to that. So, yeah. like, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I mean, as you know, <coughs> I'm a little bit too close to this issue, right? Uh, so, the first part I would say is that this also goes hand in hand with the treatment of, 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 of scholars. So, one problem is devaluing the scholars. Another problem is to regard them as being beyond critique. So sometimes when people become cultish, uh, it's almost as though uh, they are elevating the scholar above the prophet, peace be upon him. Like none of the followers would dare do that. But the esteem that they're giving the scholar uh, is that the scholar can do no wrong. Okay. Now we speak of the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, as masum, meaning he will never ever disobey Allah Ta'ala, he will never speak a lie or anything. But we do say in our tradition that he makes mistakes, for which he even gets corrected by Allah Ta'ala. He makes mistakes for which even uh, his wife will correct him. Yeah. Um, and then also there'll be cases like the famous case of the irrigation, where he gives advice on irrigation and the, and the, the crops uh, all suffer. And then he says, okay, yeah, this is knowledge of dunya, this is knowledge, this is not knowledge that I, that I am receiving from Allah Ta'ala. And even in the case of the Battle of Badr, he says, let's set up camp here. And the companions ask him, is this from Wahi or is this your own, you know, reflection? And he said, no, this is my own. And then they said, well, we suggest putting it over there. That'll strategically be a better place. So even the Sahaba are offering him an alternative, right? Uh, but it is inconceivable that he would commit a sin, meaning disobedience of Allah Ta'ala. But the mistake we make is uh, that we, we speak of scholars as inconceivable that they would do something like that, which is not fair to them, you know? um, because it also puts them uh, in a type of prison, not in the sense that everybody's watching them, uh, but it puts them in a type of prison in this of potentially their own nafs. So scholars that have either other scholars or students that are always pushing them, uh, usually love that. You know, I love it when students raise questions and disagree because that keeps me on my toes. And, and when students, in addition to my family members and my own teachers who call me out, that, uh, that I absolutely love. You know, even, even writing, one of my editors just sent me like this whole critique today and, and I loved it. Naturally, criticism always stings. But, you know, the sting is as deep as you want to be. It's like, oh, I just learned a way to be better. Okay. So, in terms of, of public sins and private sins, the default should be, uh, in general, to regard that which is private as private. Uh, but what is it that's public when 
you are, number one, doing something that is literally a public sin, like zina, a'udhubillah, is literally a public sin. You know, that uh, we are in our community taking this a private sin, no, that is a public sin. If there's a confession, uh, or, you know, you have four witnesses. If you have three witnesses and no confession, then it is not a public sin. In fact, you know, one of my teachers was mentioning, that's literally the easiest thing to adjudicate in all of Islam. If someone is making accusation of zina, and they bring less than four witnesses. Okay, you didn't bring four witnesses, you're the one who's getting the punishment. You're literally being labeled as a liar. And you might have witnessed it yourself. But from as far as socially, you're regarded as, as a liar. So, so, in terms of the cases that, I, uh, that I've been pulled into, uh, I don't even ask the name. So I've worked on, you know, literally a couple dozen cases almost. And, I mean, a couple that are prominent, but, but quite a few cases, you know. Uh, and uh, I, in almost every case, well, in every case, I actually don't ask for the name of the person. And in almost every case, I ask that they don't tell me the name of the person. Okay. Just so that I can only address exactly what the issue is. And the goal is, as much as is possible, to keep the situation as under wraps as possible. Okay. No matter what the crime is, because usually it is not zina. Usually it's a guy who keeps marrying and divorcing his students. Or a guy who, who keeps flirting with his female students. It's usually things like that. And then you're evaluating what is the threat level for the community. Okay. That is indicating what level of stature you have to give it to, give it to it. But if it's a law that's being broken, usually the law is not being broken. I mean, I mean American law. If a law that's being broken, then you got to go to the police. Okay. And then you might have to get into other aspects of it as well. Right? So that would be the, the short answer um, uh, of the process. Uh, that you, know, you default towards keeping things as quiet as possible. Because what's taking place? Um, uh, if I'm on a case... I'm going to be held to account for how did I treat the victim or the perceived, the alleged victim. I'm also going to be held to account for how did I treat the perpetrator. I cannot do injustice to the perpetrator either. And so this is the easiest way to understand this is uh, on the Day of Judgment, we're taught that you're going to be crossing the Siddhoth, right? The bridge. And it's thin as a, thin as a hair, sharp as a knife. And it's all totally dark. That's exactly what these cases are like. That you literally have to take every step carefully if you take a wrong step against the victim, you're falling down. If you take a wrong step against a perpetrator, you're falling down as well. You know? uh, there are some who are of the opinion that these people should be paraded around the community. Um, I don't agree with that as a default. I don't agree with that. Um, and there are some of the opinion that it should just be kept under the rug that I definitely disagree with because we have victims that are, that are in this. It's something different if, uh, uh, if it's a different kind of crime. Because some of the crimes have also been financial mismanagement. People who are uh, uh, who have contracted to pay something and then they refuse to pay without justification. That again, uh, you're evaluating if this is something the community needs to know. And usually that's the case when the community is the one donating the money and then the money that was promised to be used XYZ way, it's being used some other way. You know, so that would be the short answers. But even in these cases, uh, I try very consciously to protect the reputation of the scholarly community. So one case that you're familiar with, with a celebrity preacher, where the whole committee was scholars, most of them were the community of scholars, I basically said to them, let me take this. Okay? Because if the community goes after you, they don't look at me as a scholar. They don't look at me as one of the ulama. If they go after you guys, that they look at as ulama, 
that's very bad for the entire community. Okay. So you guys stay silent, go after me. It'll also keep the victims silent because I'll be the person that they can hate. And I'm not saying that out of nobility. I'm saying that literally for the protection of the exact community that is on the attack. You know? So yeah. Any other questions? Um, <clears throat> just going back on like that, um, two last points. Um, yeah. So kind of like when it came to um, even like celebrity preachers like yeah. that, um, you know, celebrity preachers that we've seen as doing like a sin or something like that, you know, like in, in your case, uh, or not, sorry, like in the case that you work yeah. with, um, would you say that like their messages themselves that they made should not really be disregarded or should it, you know? So I wrestle with that. And right now the default opinion I have is that if you are benefiting from their teaching, then that is from Allah inshallah. <laughs> and hopefully they will also get barakah for it. That will also hopefully help them in the akhirah and perhaps help them reform this dunya. So I don't go so far as to say, no, don't take from this person. Um, unfortunately, in at least one of these cases, the preacher has said to me directly, I don't even believe the stuff that I'm preaching. Okay. And I've told that to some of you know the, the followers and it just broke their hearts. And I'm saying this is literally what the person said to me. Okay. And the person is going to that person for preaching. So I'm saying I would uh, also be cautious because maybe they're just spinning you a wonderful yarn that sounds like Dean. Uh, but if it's an alim, an actual certified alim, then I'm treating it a little bit differently. Yeah. Okay, and then lastly, like, can you sort of elaborate on that, like zina being like a public sin? Can you elaborate on that? So basically, um, uh, uh, zina is so. Okay, no, the short answer I'll put it like this: a sin you do on your own is a certain amount of bad. A sin you do with someone else is significantly worse because now that's community corruption. Zina is an example of that. It's community corruption. Okay. Now, uh, if it's a case of a confirmed zina, either by confession or by four witnesses, then it is a public matter. So, like, for example, in, in Sharia, zina is a crime against the state. It's a crime against society. And the ayah is scary. It's even saying, don't let your compassion stop you from fulfilling your Allah's command. Like, you don't have the permission to withhold Allah's punishment. Uh, but when are you going to have four witnesses? Right, that was sort of what I was getting at. Yeah. Like, when are you going to actually have four witnesses? It's If it's public, right? I mean, you might have four people that break in and watch or something, um, but, you know, but um, um, you're, uh, when will you really have four witnesses is, is, is if it's in some public form, which means if it's hearsay, then you assume it didn't happen, you know? And you should even be cautious against pursuing it if it's hearsay just assume you didn't even hear it because even communicating it is a problem because you know like we talk about the inoculation effect if people keep hearing about it seriousness goes down and so that's my point okay any other questions that's it yeah so like the punishments for for sins that are done on your own are usually not nearly as severe as the punishments for things that involve multiple people yeah Alright, subhanakallahumma bihamdika, nashadu illa ilaha illa anta, nastafiru kuna tubi ilaik, wa akhir da'wana, anilhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, and we'll continue next time, inshallah. Inshallah.